You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Amen. I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 5 this morning. My family and I were blessed to get away together last week. I sure hated to miss uh, the graduation uh, recognition, but I'm very thankful that you all got to hear uh, Ben Simmons preach. Uh, this is what our youth are getting uh, week after week, and uh, we should be very thankful um, from God's Word that uh, Ben preached last week and uh, thankful for him. We come uh, back to Romans chapter 5 this morning, and I want us uh, to look at the, the rest of verse 2 today. We've been talking about the benefits and blessings of having been justified by God. And uh, verse 1, Paul tells us that we have peace with God. Uh, verse 2 tells us that we've obtained access uh, into grace, the grace in which we stand. And uh, this morning, we uh, are going to talk about how we have hope in the glory of God. So let's give our attention to the Word this morning. Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and then thirdly, notice, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, that you are our hope in life and death and everything in between. Uh, we thank you for your mercies and, that are, are sweet and, and how kind you are to us in sending Jesus, loving us the way that you have. Lord, we pray now in light of all of these mercies that we would give ourselves to you, hearing your word. Um, and I pray today that you would use me as your instrument, your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that uh, you'll remain patient with me as we slow down in Romans uh, once more um, to uh, hopefully explore some of the riches and, and depth of God's Word uh, here. I think one of the reasons that churches and, and Christians are so shallow today in their knowledge and in their convictions is because uh, pastors have not slowed down like this. Pastors have not introduced their people to the deeper waters of Scripture. In fact, I, I would say that the Word has been so watered down uh, in many pulpits uh, for so long that it has produced anemic and weak and shallow, undiscerning uh, Christians uh, who often look more like the world than they do the, the peculiar people that God has called us to be. And uh, so we do not want to be that. We want to be what God has called us to be. Amen? And uh, so therefore we look to His Word. This is why Romans is so good for us. It's good for those of us who've been Christians a long time. It's also good for those uh, who are just beginning in their, their Christian life. It's so important that we understand and be able to share what has happened to us. That is, that we have, have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. But also, what is happening to us now 
our sanctification, that process of growing in Christ's likeness. But then finally, what will happen to us? Our glorification uh, when we are made perfect uh, by God. It's that latter part of salvation that is so often neglected today. What, that is what will happen to us in our glorification, what, will, what, what we will be uh, when we stand before God. It's very interesting that when Paul wrote his letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, a, a really a baby church, a church that was in its infancy stages in terms of its spirituality, that Paul's greatest desire for them, this is chapter 1 of Ephesians, uh, verses uh, eight, part of verse 18 and 19, he wanted them to know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And that's a tall order uh, for new believers. Out of all of the doctrines that Paul could have chosen to talk to them about or emphasize, the thing that this seems to be that was most important to them is that he wanted them to know of the glories of their salvation. Uh, the riches, he says, of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Uh, specifically, then, what would happen to them in the future? What is this glory that would await them as as Christians, as believers, this is, what, this is what Paul is wanting to emphasize, that, that what they were being saved to, glorification. Uh, John Stott wrote this, he said, our vision of future glory is a powerful stimulus to present duty. It's very well put, isn't it? Uh, our vision of future glory is a powerful stimulus to present duty. We have, we have not been saved so that we can have our best life here and now. We have not been saved uh, so that life can go a little bit easier for us and a little more comfortable to us as we come to church and feel really good about ourselves. No, those are very shallow goes. Uh, Paul says we have been justified. Since we have been justified, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You, were, you and I were saved to the praise of His glory. And, and one day we will share in His glory. And Paul wants us to know that. It's an incredible promise, but what does all of this mean? Rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Why is this uh, so important? That's what I want us to think about this morning. We'll begin with just a, a brief word study of some of the key words in the text. You'll notice the word rejoice. Uh, this is one of Paul's favorite words. He used it uh, 72 times in all of his letters uh, to the churches. It, it really means more than rejoicing. It means something more akin to boasting, uh, to boast in or to glory in. It means to con congratulate oneself for something that you have done, or in this case, I think something that you have received, to glory in it. Uh, th that is, since, verse 1, we have been justified by God and have peace with God and access into His grace, he says we also have this hope of the glory of God, and we boast in this hope. We rejoice, we boast in hope of the glory of God. The word hope uh, is not how we use it in everyday language today. Many times we, we might say, I hope it 
doesn't rain tomorrow or I hope my team, team wins, uh, you know, on Saturday or whatever. But, but hope in the Bible always means certainty. You have to discipline yourself to read it in that light. It's assurance. It's certainty. Remember, Hebrews said that hope is an anchor for the soul. That, that's not something that's uncertain. It's something that's certain, right? Uh, Sproul puts it like this. Our souls are not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We have stability in our lives because in the midst of the tempest, there is an anchor, and that anchor is hope. The hope that the God, uh, the Holy Spirit, has shed abroad in our hearts. It is a hope that carries with it God's assurance, and it is a hope that cannot fail. And so Paul is not boasting here, rejoicing in a hope. Uh, he, he is not boasting in something that he might have received uh, or, or something that uh, uh, he might will receive. That's not in a sense of what he's saying at all. He's saying, I boast, I glory, I rejoice in the certainty, the certain hope of the glory of God. I'm looking forward to it, he says, with confidence with assurance. It's something so exciting that it is causing him to boast, to rejoice in it, the hope of the glory of God. But what does that mean, the hope of the glory of God? What is this, uh, as Stott calls it, this vision of future glory that is such a powerful stimulus and encouragement in our lives in the present day? What is this hope of the glory of God. That's what I want to talk about this morning. First of all, I think it means, it means a couple of things, I think. First, to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God means that we look forward, we look forward to seeing the glory of God. We look forward to seeing it. When you read the Bible throughout the New Testament, seeing the glory of God is the greatest goal of the Christian life. It is always the climax. It's always the height. Lloyd-Jones put it like this. This is the ultimate end of our faith. This is the final goal of it all. The real object of redemption and salvation is to bring us eventually to that place where we shall stand and behold the glory of God, the vision of God. Think of all of the ways that the Scripture expresses this truth. I'll just share a few of them with you. One is from our Lord Jesus, who prayed for this in His high priestly prayer. This is John 17, a portion of that prayer. Jesus praying, He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you, Jesus says, you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. But by the end of the prayer, verse 24, listen to Jesus. He says, Father, I desire, he's speaking of believers, that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am and to see my glory. This is what Jesus is praying, to see my glory, 
that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's a remarkable prayer. The apostles, it's given us life here that the apostles, uh, it would have been great to be there, right, to have walked when Jesus walked on the earth. Amen? Wouldn't that have been wonderful? But he's telling us here that the apostles and those there who had only seen Jesus in his human form, uh, in all the wonderful things that Jesus said and did, his flesh veiled his glory. It hid his true glory. Philippians 2, he was in the form of a servant. In other words, they couldn't see how great and glorious Jesus really was. And so Jesus now, one of his prayers for his church, for believers, is that all believers would see him and his glory. To see his glory. A few of the apostles glimpsed his glory on one occasion. You remember that story? The Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, and he was transfigured before him. Literally, the, the, the idea is that his flesh was pulled back so that they could see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. His face was shining like the sun, they said. His clothes white as the light. Peter later would describe, he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. His majestic glory, he says. It was so wonderful. Peter says, let's just build tents and let's just stay up here and live in this glory. He wanted to stay in the glory of Jesus and they were only given a glimpse of it for a few moments. Can I, can I encourage you, brother and sister, that when we see the glory of God, that you will forget about everything else around you. There is nothing more wonderful, nothing more spectacular, nothing more self-emptying, nothing more satisfying, nothing more mesmerizing, nothing more fulfilling and exciting and relevant than seeing the glory of God. It will either kill you in your sin or because of your faith in Jesus Christ, it will so satisfy you, you will never be able to look away from it again, nor will you want to look away from it again. It will be that wonderful. We think about Stephen, the uh, first Christian martyr, if you will, as he was being stoned to death. Acts chapter 7, verse 55 says that he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God. As he's being stoned, he's down to his last breaths, all their rage and fury being leveled against him because of his faith, and Stephen was enraptured with the glory of God. Paul had seen glimpses of it on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, and in visions, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. These glimpses of glory by his own testimony changed his life. And now Paul is looking so forward to beholding the glory of God. He's reminding us this is the certain hope. This is a hope that you can rejoice in. It's an anchor for your soul because you have been justified by Christ. We shall not only look forward to it, we boast in the promise of this that we will see His glory. 
1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Face to face. We'll glimpse, we glimpse this glory in this life. But it's like seen through a glass darkly, but there's coming a time when we will see it clearly. All who have been justified, all who are in Christ and Christ in them, there's coming this remarkable day when we shall stand in the presence of God and we will see the glory of God, the glory of Christ face to face. And I tell you, it is the goal. This is the climax of the Christian life. The Bible promises us nothing will be greater than this moment. Anything we could ever imagine or experience in this life, nothing will be greater. We will be with Him in glory for all eternity. Hallelujah. So that's the first thing I think He means. And there's much more that could be said, but we'll leave it at that. The hope of the glory of God it means that we're going to see, we're going to look, we look forward to seeing the glory of God. Secondly, I think Paul means that we look forward to being glorified by God. Being glorified by God. That when he says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, that he's reminding us that we're going to be glorified in ourselves. Which is really essential, by the way, to all of this, because if we've not been glorified, we're not going to have any chance of standing before a glorified God, the glory of God. It's only because God has justified us and then glorified us that we will be able to stand before Him and behold Him. This is the final and the ultimate part of our salvation. We, we, uh, Paul says, since we have been justified by faith, that's what's happened to us. We have been justified by God. We've been declared right. Now, in the present time, we're being sanctified by God. We're being made righteous to be like Christ. That's what's happening to us right now. But there's one thing that hasn't happened to us yet, and that is this glorification. We're going to be glorified, made perfect before God. Justification, someone said it, justification uh, saves us from the penalty of sin, uh, sanctification saves us from the practice of sin. Glorification saves us from the very presence of sin. Now think about this with me. One day the process of sanctification is going to be completed, praise the Lord. And it's going to be completed either in our physical death when we die or when the sky splits open and our Lord comes back. And at that moment, our sanctification will be over. And at that time, we're going to be given new bodies, glorified bodies that are incapable of sin and death and pain. And we will be free from the very presence of sin once and for all. We will be with the Lord from now on for everlasting times. That's glorification. Think of that. Think of what this means for you today. Think of your present struggles with sin. Think of the, the, the suffering that's been brought about because of your sin in your own life and the lives of those you love. Think of the brokenness, all of the hurts, all of the pain, both in your life 
and in lives of your loved ones because of sinful choices, because of selfishness, because of pride, and then all of the consequences, the, the baggage, the, the difficulties that come with that. But then think of this. Think that there is a, and know this, there's a coming a day, there's coming a day when we will be saved from the very presence of sin. That, that in our glorified state, every trace of sin will be removed. Not just the guilt of our sin, which has been removed, but, our, but sin itself and all of the results and all of the consequences of it. There will be literally no trace of it left in our lives, no trace of the consequences. Every one of us will be glorious, glorified before God. John wrote in his first letter, 1 John 3, 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Think of that. When He appears, we shall be like Him. Think of standing in heaven together someday and uh, seeing one another in our glorified states. Now, let's be honest. We've seen each other in our not-so-glorified states, right? It's not pretty. But think of standing in heaven in our glorified state and being saying to one another, wow, look at you. I never knew you could be so beautiful and glorious in Christ. Look at what God has done to you. Look at what God has done to me. Look, look at the work of, of Christ, and it will be Christ in us that will make us beautiful. Amen? That's what Colossians says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope. This is what Paul is rejoicing about in Romans 5.2. In the midst of, of, of a world of difficulty and a world that's falling apart and lives that are falling apart, we're going to one day see God in all of His glory and we ourselves are going to be glorified and so much so there will be no hint of sin left in us, either in our spirits or our bodies. We're going to be made perfect, glorified in the presence of God. He even says later on in Philippians, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This is the day of completion, glorification. This is what Jesus prayed for us to know and see. This is what Paul wanted the Ephesian Christians and all Christians to know, to know what is the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is his immeasurable greatness of power toward us who believe. It, it is this hope that we must keep in focus. It is this vision of future glory that is a powerful stimulus to present duty today. It is this vision of glory that helps us to keep going to help, keep, help us to persevere. It's why we endure suffering and hardship. It's, it's why we sacrifice and serve. It's why we hate our sins and pursue holiness. It's why we devote ourselves to bringing glory to God in whatever we do. It's why we risk sharing the gospel. It's why we are patient and forgiving and loving toward one another. It is because what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know 
that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We'll be glorified. We'll see his glory. This is what Paul is rejoicing about, boasting in the hope of the glory of God. Now, it seems to me as I thought about this, that this is where the great challenge lies. The great challenge in all of this is keeping this vision in front of us. It is in my life. Uh, not getting distracted, not getting sidetracked by lesser visions. It's as Paul, uh, you know, said in Philippians 3.13, one thing I do, he says, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus Christ. In, in Jesus Christ. Or the writer of Hebrews 12 when he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. How do we keep looking forward to the hope of the glory of God? Well, I want to close with just a few uh, things here, a few, few thoughts for you about this. First of all, I want to pause and emphasize the truth again, the big truth of Romans 5, 1 and 2, and that is that justification enables us to see these things. Justification enables us to see Right, he says, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and then our verse, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So here's the truth that we need to remind ourselves and start with, that if you're not saved, you're not going to see this glory. In fact, you may be scratching your head right now and saying, I don't know what you're talking about up there, preacher. I mean, I just... I just want a new car. I just hope the girl I asked out said yes. You know, I, I just want to get along uh, with so-and-so. I've got these things. If you, if you haven't been saved, genuinely justified, you're going to have a difficult time seeing what Paul is saying here. Rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And I would encourage you, if that's you, pray to see this. Pray it's pray for God to open your eyes to see it. It's not a mystical thing. It's not a magical thing. Just pray that God would open your eyes to see the glories of Jesus Christ. And, and I want to encourage you to, to think about the cross and the resurrection. Think about your sin before a holy God. Think about what Jesus has done to save you from his judgment. Pray, God, help me to see this. If this is true, and it is true, then help me to understand it and put my faith in Jesus. Pray that. I'm afraid some who are professing to know Jesus don't really know Jesus. Because if you find all this talk about the gospel and all this talk about seeing the glory of God is somehow boring and irrelevant and uninteresting in your life, and you say that you know Christ, but this is really not on your radar. If you find that, that your life is consumed with getting the next greatest thing in, here, in the here and now, or if you're, you think that your Christianity is just some kind of a convenient add-on to make sure that you got all your bases covered, but you're really not thinking about this stuff about the glory of God. If seeing the glory of God and being glorified by Him is not the ultimate longing of your heart, you may not be saved. 
Because what Paul is driving at here is this very thing. Since we have been justified, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's, again, so much more that could be said, but we'll trust that the Spirit will apply these things. It begins with justification, salvation. Secondly, we need to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit helps us to behold it. The Holy Spirit helps us to behold it to look forward to it, to keep it in our vision. There's an interesting verse in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and where Paul writes this, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's a wonderful verse as we're beholding the glory of the Lord and we're being, he says that we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Uh, Now that's interesting. Though glorification is clearly something that happens in a moment, I think, just as justification does. In the twinkling of an eye, when we die or when Christ comes again, we're going to be glorified but, but there's something in this where Paul says, don't be discouraged. This glory process has kind of already started in your life. If we have the life of Christ in us, we have something of his glory in us. And it may be very small at first, right? Just glimpses of it. But as we're striving to behold the glory of the Lord, something is happening. We're being changed from one degree of glory to another. We're increasing And and all of this comes from, Paul says, the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul says, ultimately, this is a work of God, the Spirit, in our lives. Christians, pray for this. Pray for this in your life and and encourage one another in it. I often think, what would happen again if some of the, and I fall victim to this, but some of the conversations in our church could change. Could, Could, instead of being things like, Oh boy, wow, you you have nice hair today. Um, Something to the effect of, wow, I see the glory of Jesus in you. I I saw it in you when you were back there and that you were angry at that person and how how you responded, though that that person was angry at you and you responded with grace or how you helped that person in need or what you just did there to encourage that person. I saw a degree of the glory of Jesus in your life. We should pray for one another in this church. And Holy Spirit, do this work. Transform us from one degree to another. Now, I'm not suggesting here that this is all passive in beholding the glory of God. Part of our activity here, um, thirdly, is to not lose heart with the temporal things, by looking at temporal things. Paul says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, but let's be honest, a lot of times we're focusing on the temporary things of this world and we're letting those things steal the joy of this. Paul had a word about this again. This is 2 Corinthians again, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Listen to what he says. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, that is, the things of this world, even our own bodies, they're passing away. But, he says, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The stuff of this world, this is what he said, and I don't think he's trying to make light of any of the issues that you're burdened about or are sad about today or whatever, but these things, he says, when you put them in comparison, these things are light, momentary afflictions because one day there is a glory coming that will cause you to, to forget about everything that's ever happened to you. and You'll be fixated on the, the glory of God. This is a perspective, though, he says, that we have to fight to keep now. How do we keep it? Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That is, the glory of God, the, the, our glorification. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The, the way that we can stay in this world that is falling apart and our own lives and times falling apart, and the way that we don't lose heart in it is because we keep looking to these things that are unseen, beholding. That's the fourth thing. Set your mind on eternal things. Eternal things. And to here, I just turned a brief word in Colossians. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says it again differently. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on heavenly things. Quit making excuses about why you're not in God's Word and why you don't have time to pray and why you don't want to think about all these heavenly kinds of things. It is absolutely crucial to your spiritual life. Amen. Keep before yourself the glory of God and your coming glorification, because when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Christians, we should not go through this life with our heads down. And I know there's things going on in the world that <laughs> we, we, we shouldn't pretend like there's nothing bad happening, but amidst the sadness of our sinful and declining world, there should be something in us of a twinkle in our eyes and a skip in our steps because we know exactly how things are going to end. As 1 Peter 3.15 says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And that reason is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Aren't you looking forward to seeing the glory of God? Isn't there something in you? We're going to sing a final song here in just a moment. I think it's the third verse that uh, speaks so clearly about um, what we've been talking about this morning. Here's what it says. Listen very closely to this language. Oh, that day 
when freed from sinning, glorification. I shall see thy lovely face. How? How will we stand before God? Full arrayed in blood-washed linen. How I'll sing thy sovereign grace, the grace of God. What do we do now? We pray this. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Bring thy promises to pass. And in the meantime, for I know thy power will keep me till I'm home with thee at last. Heavenly Father, I pray that my feeble attempts here to explain and point your people to glory, that you would work in, in their hearts and work in my heart as well to see and to behold, to long for, and, and that, that this vision of the glory of God would be a present, would be a stimulus for present duty and devotion in the here and now. And I pray for those today that are not seeing it, have not seen it, maybe don't even desire it. Lord, that you would open their eyes to see the glory of Jesus, his cross, his resurrection. May they turn to him in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark, and if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.